0: morning, friends. How are we? We good? We ready to go? Yes. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms. If you're new to the Bible, it's right in the middle. Maybe not right in the middle, like a third. Continue moving through the Psalms of Ascent, which we think wa- were sung and prayed by pilgrims, um, going from their home to Jerusalem to meet with God at the temple. Short psalms, typically, um, but rich, I think we're finding, I know I am, and just interesting how they change, and each one is a little bit different. Um, Different themes, different kind of category or genre of the psalms. So let's read Psalm 127 together. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and corporately confess that we have failed This week in the rhythm of work and rest. Some of us have overworked. We have made work our God, our idol, for what it promises. Whether that's control, money, power, comfort, success, approval, We have made something other than you, God, and we have acted as though you don't exist. We've tried to be you, and for that great blasphemy against you, we ask forgiveness. Some of us, Lord, have underworked. Some of us have been guilty of the vice of sloth where we have not fulfilled the obligations of love To you and to our neighbor, we have been lazy. Lord, we have consumed and consumed and consumed. We have not ruled and subdued. We have not even followed the creational command and the pattern that you set to work and then look back on that work and appraise it and to cease For this great sin, we ask your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you and give you all glory and honor as the one human being in all of history who worked and rested in perfect obedience to the Father's will. Not only, Lord, in your day-to-day life, in, in your callings, in your interactions with people, in your time, during the day and in the evening where you pulled away and you prayed and you were alone, but the deeper work, the work of obedience to the law, the work of fulfilling the law for those who from conception have failed, even in our nature, Lord, before we're able to commit a sin We are sinners, and even breaking one law breaks it all. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your active obedience, fulfilling not only the written law, but the law of the heart, loving the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, every moment of every day, And thank you that as a gift, you give it to those who trust in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would teach us today. I have much to learn. I pray you would teach us how to flourish as human beings and stop trying to be little gods. It's a brick wall that we run into, and yet we keep running into it again and again. We don't learn. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move and speak and help us, help me, to understand a little more deeply what you mean in this beautiful psalm. In Jesus' great name, amen. Well, as I said, these Jewish pilgrims are traveling. They're moving from their homes to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage, and you had to do that a few times a year as a Jew in the Old Testament. And they're praying as they walk. They're singing as they walk. And isn't it interesting what the Holy Spirit brings to their mind as they're walking, as they're talking, as they're singing? In this case, yeah, you know, we really can't protect ourselves. We really can't do much of anything without God. Man, if it weren't for God, nothing we do would matter, would it? Like, why don't we think like that? Why do we think it's up to us to have a lot of kids and and have them working out in the fields and blessing us and carrying on our family lineage? Why do we think that's us? That's God. It's all because of God. This is a wisdom psalm. And the wisdom God offers you is this. If you pay more attention to his presence in your life, you will have less anxiety. If you pay more attention to his presence in your life, you will have less anxiety and more peace. It's kind of that simple. I'm going to spend a good amount of time talking about that, unpacking it, but that's that's the gist. Is your work important? Yes. Is what you do and your effort and your skill part of the equation of what God is doing? Yes. But is it sufficient? Are you sufficient? If the answer is no, then the question is, why do we live like that? Acting like we are sufficient rather than dependent and contingent. Think of me making a fire with my kids, which we did the other night. They brought out the wood, put it in the fireplace. They gathered up some kindling, they put it on there. They held the lighter as we lit the newspaper and started the fire. That's not exactly the whole story, is it? when you see the fire come alive and you're enjoying it, is that the whole story? No. There's a lot that they didn't do. There's a lot that they were dependent on others for. For instance, they didn't grow the trees that we used. They didn't chop them down, the ash trees alone. We can thank the city of Madison for that. They didn't chop them up into nice little pieces. We can thank an anonymous friend for that. They didn't make the wind blow all winter and all spring to make the sticks fall on the ground so we could pick them up. Thank you, Lord. And they couldn't even flick the lighter to make it come on. I had to put my thumb and supply the power. So did they contribute in some sense? Yeah. But if it was just them... What they did would have been in vain. It would have been in vain. All their effort, all their work would have been in vain without things that were, let's just say, well beyond them. The same is true in everyday life with God. You contribute, but really, so much is way beyond you way beyond you. That's the wisdom of Psalm 127. Recognize that, acknowledge that, be thankful for that. Seeing God's presence doing things you cannot do and were never meant to do. So if you struggle with pride, you're in the right place today. Don't you wish all those people who struggle with pride were here? Where are they? It's just a shame. This would have been a good message. You can let them know later that they need to listen to this message about pride and make sure to say it with, you know, just an air of, like, confidence. Like, I think this would be really good for you. Send them the link. Fourth century church father, Hillary, you're probably doing something right if you just have one name. Hillary taught that Christians must be on guard against a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. How many of us are trying to do God's work for him, which produces anxiety and in the process blasphemes his name because we're saying, God, you need help, and I'm the one to give it. That's a blasphemy. Here's a few things to get you thinking, a few questions. How closely do you pay attention to what God is doing every day? Is that how your mind works? Or are you just lost in what you have to do? Is there a God awareness, a God sensitivity, a God intuition? How much of what you're trying to accomplish is about your work, your plans, your words, your decisions, your ability, your experiences? How much is about God, His plan, His will, His ability, His faithfulness? In the land of the American dream where your greatest asset is your own ability, pretty convicting, pretty damning. What would life feel like if it was about joining God in what He's doing? Maybe a little slower, maybe deeper, maybe more relational, more compassionate, more fearless. What do you have to fear? If you're joining God, the Lord of hosts, why would we ever be afraid? But if I'm out on my own, and God, maybe I just, you know, throw up a few prayers to get you to help me do what I want to do, well, now you have a reason to fear. What if uh, your limits were a gift? Not something to feel guilty about. Not a problem to be solved. Not an issue to be conquered. That's how we treat our limits. Well, I got these limits. I feel them. Time to conquer them. More caffeine. Less sleep. More this, more that. Less this, less that. To push on through. To the other side. What if the tyranny of the clock, and it is a tyranny, were broken? That Pharaoh, the clock. What if the Pharaoh on your wall, and on your microwave, and your oven, and your coffee maker, and your phone, and your computer, and your watch, which I don't really understand how that works, but. Like we're surrounded by clocks. Did you ever think about that? It's weird. They're everywhere. Like I'm looking, I can't get away from them. What if you gave the the, the power of the clock a little less power to make you anxious? Because I gotta be here and I gotta go there and I gotta do this, and then I got that, and I got the alarm clock, and then I gotta get to bed this time. My phone's telling me to go to bed. As I'm with people, sometimes I'm talking to them, and it's like the phone goes off. Like, what's that? Like, oh, it's my watch telling me to go to bed we're talking. What is going on? It can be a tyranny. It can be a taskmaster that you're just a slave to the clock. What if you were unburdened from the pressure of always doing more in less time? Always more in less time. What if if you were unburdened from that because Guess what? There is a God who is almighty, who is omnipotent, who loves you, who is wise, who is governing all things and is in control for your benefit. Maybe I can feel a little less pressure to do more because of who God is. Wouldn't that be sweet? I just sense, like, we need to hear that. God did not make you to be a machine. He made you from the dust. Some, just think about that. From the dust. I said that to my kids. They're like, well, we're from a rib. Like, okay, you know, same thing. You're dust. And the Lord knows you're dust. Do we know it? Do we know it? You know what Adam in Hebrew actually means? Dust. Dusty man. That's all we are. Restful, joyful, limited activity is the offer from our gracious heavenly Father. Can we accept it? Can we receive it? That's what this Psalm's about. Breaks up into two sections, so I have two points. Number one, the necessity of God's presence. Number two, the clarity of God's presence. Necessity, verse one. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Two spheres of life. The psalmist is alluding to the home and the community. Pretty important. Make a pretty big uh, the, the, make a di- big difference in our day to day life. How many of you show of hands want a safe, happy home? How many of you want a safe, law abiding, generous, warm community? Without God, not possible. If you think the good things in your home have come because of you, you're deceived. You can, hire, you, can, <laughs> you can hire the best construction people. You can get great interior design advice. You can read the best marriage, the best parenting books. It doesn't matter. God builds the house. God builds the home. If you think the good things in our community are because of you, you are deceived. You can hire all the law enforcement you want. You can get all the preppers, you know, out from the country and bring them in, put them in crow's nest. They're trigger happy up there shooting bad guys. You can have all the the programs and infrastructure you want. You can even have pothole-free streets. A man can dream. It won't matter without God. As a church, we're doing a lot of good things, I think. We're doing counseling, discipleship, great worship, like good things are happening, VBS next week. Unless we are sensitive to the presence and power of God, unless we're praying for God to show up, it doesn't matter what we do. We are spinning our wheels. So the minute we become a prayerless church is the minute we become a powerless church. That's just a fact. So don't think your prayers are just, you know, well, somebody else will probably pray for that. Oh, they're so important. They're so important. Anything good, it has to go through God. To press the point, verse 3. It is vain. It is in vain, delusional, pointless, That you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Isn't that beautiful poetry? God is amazing. And it's an invitation to evaluate your life. To what degree is this me? How much anxious toil bread am I eating? Is it making me sick? Let me unpack some things here related to anxiety because that's not a problem, obviously. First, let's make a distinction between stress and anxiety. Stress, not necessarily bad. We put stress on a bridge when we drive over it. We put stress on our muscles when we work out and break them down so that they would be built up. Stress can be purposeful in God's hands. He uses it to test us, to push us toward good things, to break us down and then build a spec up. Uh, your kids need stress in their life. Some physical, emotional stress to help them mature, to help them grow. Okay? It's a fallacy to say that whatever doesn't kill them will make them weaker. It's not true. Now, with stress, you gotta be careful that it doesn't go on too long and with too much intensity. This is where we have th- ideas like PTSD. It's too much stress for too long. It's too intense. But in moments, in seasons, God can use it. The Bible never says, do not be stressed. It does say, do not be anxious. Anxiety comes when the stresses pile up to the point where you're overwhelmed. You feel overwhelmed. You have this sense of, I can't do this, but I have to do this. That's, that's when anxiety comes. I, I felt it flicker a few weeks ago when I was preparing 10 sermons for Crystal Springs Camp in North Dakota. And I was a stress, and God used it. He had purpose in it, I think, hope. But there were moments when I had a flicker of like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to get this done. I got too much to do. I got, my day is gone and I didn't get anything done that I needed to get done. And there's that flicker of anxiety. Anxiety is like I'm not able to ever not be on high alert. I'm just constant like on high alert. I never really come down. And it's functional atheism. Where's God? Well, he doesn't exist, so I need to step in. That's what anxiety is. God is just nowhere to be found in your inner world. Stress can lead to maturity, but anxiety always leads to mental, physical, spiritual breakdown. You eat the bread of anxious toil, you will get sick. How does it happen? On a typical day the stresses that pile up and lead to anxiety well you know it might begin with just you wake up you grab your phone and there's a stressful email a stressful text which then leads you to more stuff on your phone scrolling the headlines well there's a terrible headline well that's nice and then there's a tweet by somebody who shouldn't have tweeted that and it's like oh that's stressful and then you remember you got to get up and you got to get the kids going You've got to get them to an appointment, and you want to read your Bible, but you stayed up late last night doing work, so you slept in a little bit, and now you don't have time. So then you go, you're, you're getting to the appointment, but then you're like, okay, i got another thing to do, we got to get home, and you're, you're thinking about the seven projects that you have unfinished that you need to do, and you're distracted from the kids who are talking to you and just want to be with you, and you know that, so you feel guilty about it, Okay? Then you come home, the house is, whenever you get home, five o'clock, the house is kind of messy. That's a stress, that's like visual chaos. And then you're like, okay, you know, we haven't had a date night in a while. We need to get out and do that. Oh, but the kids have activities and sports every night. We can't. That's that's impossible. I don't know how we're gonna do that. You're putting on weight because the gym feels impossible. You don't have time to cook healthy. You're just eating out. You're running here. You're running there. You're exhausted. Where is my bed? Stress upon stress upon stress leads to anxiety, leads to breakdown. You're not made to carry it. God didn't wire you to carry it. Hear the good news. Your limitations are not sins. Your limitations are not sins. They are gifts given by God to help you live within your humanity to truly flourish. That's why he gave you limits. And so many of you, I think, have productivity shame. Just this nagging feeling that I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Feeling guilty for admitting, just admitting you didn't get something done. Heaven forbid you left something on the table at the end of the day. I mean, what is wrong with you? I mean, we don't even want to admit that, do we? Like we didn't get to something. Shame over your limitations is not from the Lord. It's from your pride. The problem, friends, is not your ability. It's your expectations. We have developed the expectation, and technology has really contributed to this, of being able to do way more than God God intended us to do. Way more. Things that were supposed to, like, give us more time, free us up, have enslaved us. Because now we can do more. Now we can do more. All the time. It's like, work used to be, I go home and that's it. Now it's like, I can work anywhere all the time. I just flip open my computer. If we're trying to do more than God intended us to do, that is sinful. You're trying to be God. That's really bad, and it will destroy you. So there needs to be some repentance. Seeing where you've tried to be God, hint, hint, it's what you're anxious about. It's what you're anxious about. Asking forgiveness, and by the grace of God, changing, changing how you think. Changing how you live. That's part of repentance. It's not just I'm sorry. It's I'm turning. To what? Where do we go? What do we do? We begin to eat the bread of wholehearted presence. Wholehearted presence. Choose that carefully. To slow down to truly be present and focused, focused in each moment, each season God brings you into. One author explains it this way. Feeling especially scattered one day, a friend joked that she should have a baby since it meant singularity of focus. It was a great remark, oh really, just have a baby? But I immediately knew kind of what she meant. When my children were born, time seemed to operate differently. Rather than the usual task oriented time, which is usually filled by things I'm looking forward to or not looking forward to, each moment was deeply inhabited. I was rooted in the present based on necessity and joy, anticipating and meeting my children's needs, absorbed in their activity. There were stretches of sleep-deprived haze, but the experience seemed so extraordinary. As a result, I was paying attention, paying it eagerly. Guys, that's it. Like Whether you have kids or not, there have been moments and seasons in your life when you have been deeply inhabited. And those are probably the best moments and seasons of your life. It's possible. It's possible. Whatever it is, conversation, cuddling with your dog, tucking your kids in, holding your your spouse's hand, eating a piece of carrot cake, whatever it is, deeply inhabit that moment. Because when you are truly present, you're able to experience God's presence. If you're not, you're not. You're just not. You know, sometimes it's good to lose track of time. I know that's really hard. (laughs) Carrie and I intentionally try to have days where we have zero, nothing on the calendar. It's just open. And we just try to be sensitive and aware and mindful of, okay, God, what do you want for us today? Sometimes we have devotional times as a family where there is no clock set. There is no alarm. There is no buzzer. It's just open-ended. It's so nice. Sometimes it's good to lose track of your phone. You hear those stories like, I dropped my phone in the lake, and it was like the best 24 hours of my life. But I had insurance, so I went... I know that's really, really hard, especially for some of you, because you have objections. But 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 what what if work calls and and I gotta take that call, that can mean business, and well, well what if the kids call and, and and they need something and something's wrong with it? Whatever your justification, if you don't believe that you can be away from your phone for a couple of hours, you have a very small view of God and a very high view of yourself, that you are necessary. For all of this to continue, that if I'm going to provide, if I'm going to have money, if I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that, it's not mainly God, it's mainly me. I know there are people, they're on call, they need to have their phones with them. I'm saying as a general rule, if you cannot get away and be present with people or whatever you're doing in prayer, walk, whatever, you, you don't think much of God. Maybe some repentance. One more thing to help you deeply inhabit your life, because I'm on a roll. Do less stuff, but do it better. Less breadth. You tracking with that? More depth. Less shallow thinking. How much shallow thinking do we participate in every day? About a million things we shouldn't even be thinking about in the first place because we have no control over them, and they don't matter more deep thinking about things that do matter. Less shallow conversations, more deep conversations. Less unfinished projects, more well-done projects. Less shallow acquaintances and more deep friendships. God made you to be a deep sea diver, not a jet skier. He made you to go deep. He made you to do the next thing He brings into your life with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Process the all. That means focus. That means presence. Not pip, 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 pip. I just skip along the surface throughout my day. I did a million things. I didn't do any of them well. The key is being in communion with God sensitive to his presence, his power, his provision in every moment. It's that sensitivity. What is God doing here? What is he up to? Why did he bring me this? I may not know, but I trust him. This is good news. I hope you hear that. Like, I'm not trying to give you more stuff to do. I'm saying, be free. This is good news. You are never alone. It is never up to you. Never. Point two, clarity of God's presence. His presence is a necessity, and also there's a clarity the psalmist gives us. He illustrates the principle he just laid out. How do you know with crystal clarity that God is behind it all, that it's not up to you? Children. Children. Verse three, behold, children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Here's the big idea. You contribute very little to producing something as vital and important as children. You don't do much. Okay, we were talking with the kids recently, and like, ladies, at least you have some significant contribution to make to the procreative childbearing process. Thank you for that. Um, we were talking with the kids about it, all these, you know, the wonders of pregnancy, and Carrie sharing about, uh, you know, the, the body and how it supports the baby and all those little intricacies. And at some point, the kids turn and look at me, and they're like, so what do you do? <laughs> Not much. Trying to pull my weight now. It's a kind of effortless work. I mean, compared to building a house or watching over a city, like, I don't know, do we call it work? I, not really. We don't do much. The word heritage is more like inheritance, and, and it's used in the Hebrew more than 50 times in the book of Joshua to talk about the Lord giving the land to Israel. Your heritage, your inheritance. So think about that. Did Israel do something to get the land? Did they meet the conditions of God so that he would give them the land? No. They were awful. And he just gave it as a gift. Kids are like that. It's just, it's just given as a gift. Just a free, this is something good, here you go. It bothers me a little bit when um, people look at their kids and say, look what we made. We did that. Did you? Did, Did you make the organs? Did you make the singularly unique facial features of that child? Did you invisibly and seamlessly combine two sets of DNA into one to make an image-bearer of God who didn't exist nine months ago and will live forever in heaven or hell. Did you do that? No, I didn't think so. So maybe just a little humility, maybe just a little acknowledgement. You did very little. I mean, we're thankful for your contribution to the process here, but it ain't much. Like every other good thing, having kids is a gift from God. Having them around to help with work, protection, challenges, care for you as you get old, it's a gift. That's what the text means. Here's what it doesn't mean, because we have trouble with this one. First, it doesn't mean that the more holy you are, the more kids God gives you. Mm -hmm. The word reward is a little misleading In the English, in the Hebrew, it carries more the idea of something that belongs to God, but is generously given. Same word, same idea in Isaiah 62, for example, talking about salvation. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, the Lord's reward is with him. So it's used in the same way to refer to salvation as a reward. Now think about it. Is your salvation... A reward. Depends what you mean by that. Is it a reward like wages for what I did? No. No. Scripture clearly tells us it's all of the Lord. It's a free gift. It's unconditional. It's undeserved. That's the way we want to understand it here. Children are an undeserved blessing, just like salvation, a reward in that sense. Listen, people living in flagrant rebellion to God have lots of kids. People living in beautiful submission to God can't get pregnant. I can't explain that. You know, this is, this is not a formula to be solved. It's, it's a mystery of providence to trust. We don't know why. We just know that God is the wise giver and the good giver and that he he doesn't withhold any good things from those who love him. I don't understand. But let's not turn it into a formula where like if you're really holy and you have 10 kids, well, I mean, you're probably not that holy if you're even thinking like that, but to even think like that. Not what the text means. Second, This text doesn't mean that bigger families are inherently better. Well, aren't you more blessed with a full quiver? Isn't that what it says? Well, first of all, who decides what a full quiver is? Is it two? Is it ten? Who decides? You? How? I don't find a text that tells me that. This is poetry. It's not prescriptive on the most godly family size, like a brochure. Not what it is. It's an image. It's using an image we can understand. Okay, if you're in battle, is it good to have a full quiver of arrows? Yes. Okay, in the battles of life, in the difficulties of life, is it helpful? Is it nice to have children to help you? Yeah, it is. They're helpful sometimes. Guys, that's all it means. That's it. That's what it's trying to say through the image. So let's not read too much into it. I want to direct you to a helpful article. I did, I may go into it in another sermon, another time. I wanted to today, didn't have time. Kevin DeYoung wrote a, a very thought-provoking article um, called "The Case for Kids." I would push you toward it. Just you know, I'll just leave it at that. It's it's just very thoughtful. It's very thought-provoking in in how he unpacks where we are today. Globally, even in terms of having kids. Um, And he published it in First Things, which is a Catholic journal. So that was also interesting. Um, So enjoy that. I just point that to you, and, and I'm almost done. But I want to finish with Jesus because this is where this is leading. The psalmist, maybe Solomon, is pointing forward. Remember that. All of the Old Testament is anticipatory. It's all just like pregnant, waiting waiting for the moment that Messiah comes. The great builder, the great worker, the great protector, the greatest child ever given at this point is coming. The one who would give us deep rest for the soul that we were made for, Son of God, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.5 says, When Christ came into the world, He said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body You have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Behold, I have come to do your will. O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, the fullness, the very fullness of the presence of God came into a human body to do the work. To obey The Father said, enough with the dead animals. I'm tired of that. Enough with the I'm sorries. I want someone to do the work. I want someone to obey. I'm tired of that smell of blood and dead animals. Give me someone, and none of you people can do it, so I'm going to send my own son because I trust him. That he would obey as a human being, living within his human limitations, but following and obeying and walking in the will of God every moment of his life. I need someone to do the work for me. Because I can't. Unless you recognize that it is all Jesus, your salvation is 100% start to finish, A to Z, the work of Jesus Christ in your life, your life will be lived in vain. I can promise you that. It is pointless to try to be good enough. It is vain to think your good deeds are going to outweigh your bad deeds. Are you serious? That's what you're banking on? How many people are banking on that? It's delusional. Why would we need Jesus to come obey and do the will of God if we were capable of such things? Doesn't make any sense. But he did come because he wants a family. He wants a home. He wants to protect us. He wants to give us security and help us flourish forever and ever. That's his heart. That's why he sent Jesus to the cross. So if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus and find rest, please. Come to Jesus and find rest. believe in his life death and resurrection in your place and if you're a Christian longtime Christian come again to Jesus just just let the truth of his love wash over you that he did the work he did the work he built it so you could rest doesn't mean no activity it doesn't mean you don't work but underneath that work is a rest, that it's not up to me. I don't have to do it. I don't have to get it right all the time. I don't have to be God. Isn't that a blessing? And it comes through relationship with Jesus, being aware of his presence, the Holy Spirit. Every day, every moment, he's with us. He never leaves us. So we can rest. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your deep, deep love. It is more than we can take in, but we try. Thank you, Lord, for being infinite so that we can just be finite. Thank you for being a creator so we can be creatures. Teach us, Lord. Teach us to number our days, to choose the good portion, to learn what really matters what we should value, where we should go deep, where we should give our time, our energy. Free us from the tyranny of the clock. Free us from the tyranny of our own guilt over not doing enough. Grant us that wisdom, O Lord, by your Spirit and for your glory. Amen.